Welcome to ConX, a global leadership platform for construction executives. Today I have Maria Lehman here. And uh, Maria, tell us about yourself and tell us about your organization and where'd you grow up? Okay, thanks for having me. Um, I am a civil, civil engineer from Western New York. Um, I'm actually a first generation. Uh, my parents were both World War II refugees. And so um, so I'm very tied to my hometown. Mm. Uh, I've been in the business for just over 40 years. Um, my day job is um, I'm the market leader for infrastructure in the United States for GHD. And uh, I am president-elect of the American Society of Civil Engineers, which means I take over as president in October of this year. Uh, I got a quick question for you. So, did sure. you, you know, you must have started uh, started working when you were five, you know, that, because right. it's a 40 years, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I knew I had to get my smart comment in there uh, in general. So, uh, so tell us about, your, your company or your organization or a combination of both? Sure. So GHD is a uh, engineering firm, full service, uh, headquartered in Australia. We've been in business for just over 92 years. Oh, wow. Came to the U.S. about 16 years ago and uh, made some acquisitions in various um, businesses and various geographies and have seen great growth um, since. So we were not on the ENR top 500 uh, about eight years ago, nine years ago, and we're now 28. Oh, wow. So um, we have 11,000 people worldwide. Uh, we have about 2,000 in the U.S. and about 1,000 in Canada. And we do a lot of, uh, we, we have our core businesses, you know, you have your transportation, um, environment, water, wastewater, facilities, and mining and resources, and then um, integrated into that, we have an advisory practice, uh, which looks at due diligence and asset management across all those businesses, as well as a digital advisory business and how you use all of today's tools, um, an AI, for example, and software to make better informed decisions about how you're doing things, and a future energy practice that is really looking at what we have today versus what we need for tomorrow um, and how we make that transition and uh, do it in a sustainable manner. So we have uh, a lot of small offices all over the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, I started just two years ago, um, so I've never set foot in an office yet because of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I met some people while I was. Uh, I don't know if that's a good or a bad recruiting. thing, you know. I, mean, I, I don't so. know. It's been uh, it's been interesting, but you know, I met a few people early uh, before I joined and before COVID, um, and made some relationships over you know the Hollywood squares or, or uh, Brady Bunch medium. Um, <laughs> but it's sure nice to get to get out and meet folks these days. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is, definitely is. So tell us about you know. ASCE and kind of how you got involved. Uh, I'm always interested on that, especially as a as a working professional. Well, I uh, I, I joined the student uh, organization when I was back at the State University of New York at Buffalo, and um, it was 
more a social organization at that point than it was, you know, really being serious. And we had concrete canoes, but they looked like concrete canoes. They cracked, they broke. <laughs> we, yeah. You know, the drinking age was 18. We had a good time. We had made lifelong friends. It's all good. Um, it's not like now where they look like fiberglass and, you know, they're, they're very high performance. Uh, and when I got out of school, um, worked, realized, felt really dumb when I got out of school because we didn't have co-ops. We didn't do internships at that point. And so, you know, the application of what you learned undergraduate was, was kind of missing. And so uh, because I was involved with the student chapter and knew about the Buffalo section, started talking to some folks there and saying, you know, wouldn't it be great? You guys all have, you know, these needs for co-ops or interns. You know, can't we use and leverage that at least here in Western New York to get some students some practical knowledge and so from there I ended up you know working on the younger member committee and got on the local board got on the state board uh, worked with the region and had a couple of things happen um, that kind of went sideways and was challenged to change it by going for uh, a national board director mm -hmm. uh, which I did in the 90s and uh, got involved with a lot of different national committees, really enjoyed it. Uh, but it was hard, you know, you said with a working life, you know, in the meantime, uh, my husband's also a civil engineer and uh, uh, a PE. And, you know, I would love to hear the conversation between you two. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, at our 10th wedding <laughs> anniversary, we promised ourselves we wouldn't talk about the kids or work. And it took us like two days to be able to have a conversation because <laughs> like everything is so intertwined, right? <laughs> So it was kind of funny, but, um, you know, realistically, you know, we had three kids in there too. And so balance was very difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately, I had great bosses um, coming out of school and that really understood that there needed to be a balance. So I, I did go back to work full time after my first son, but after um, the second one, I decided to go back to, I, to go back at four days a week. Um, so, you know, I did 40 hours in four days instead of 60 and five. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Uh, and uh, and I stayed, you know, had another kid. And then when, you know, when I got involved with uh, regional ASC stuff, decided to stay with that four day week so I could find a balance. And, um, you know, had an employer that was very supportive and it made the ability to make a difference to my clients as well as to the profession pretty easy. But you also learn an incredible amount. I mean, the we call it power skills. We used to call it soft skills. It has nothing to do with being soft. It's about how you run things in this profession. And had access to some of the leaders in the profession, you know, in my 30s. So it really made an indelible mark and created success for me in my day job as well as ASCE. Uh, went through you know, a bunch of regional positions. And then uh, I ended up going to the public sector, uh, being commissioner of public works for Erie County in 2000 and uh, had the support there to, to go on the next step with ASCE. So I became uh, a vice president for the Northeast and brought, you know, the best standard procedures or, or, or best practices from around the country to my county and did a lot of innovative things um, and then used my 
going through the looking glass experience from a consultant to being a client to help ASCE. So it worked great. I mentioned that my husband was a PE. Uh, he got elected to the board um, and we had one year overlap. So he was a director and I was a vice president um, for okay. a year, which, okay. which caused all kinds of angst and consternation with folks. <laughs> my, my question is, 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 uh, I worked with my, I worked with my wife and it's like, who's in charge, you know, exactly. So, uh, you just, it depends on the topic. It depends on what you're doing. And, you know, you just, uh, who's on first, what's on second changes every day. Right. Well, so you're, you're a good wife. Cause my wife would have said she's in charge. So you're a good wife. Yeah. So <laughs> well, it depends on what we're doing. I mean, he's a structural engineer. I'm not, you can't have two of those in one household. You'd kill each other. <laughs> so, uh, Kind of, uh, you know, how, you know, speaking to ASC, what's, what do you think the the future looks like? What, 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 what things are you guys working on that you can talk, you can just talk about? Uh, I know a lot of our listeners would be interested in that. Well, let me, let me take two paths on that. First of all, I've always been interested in the public policy around civil engineering, you know, because to me, it's like, Everybody loves infrastructure, but why aren't we funding it? I mean, as an engineer, I go, that doesn't compute. You know, why is this such a problem? Why has it been a problem? And um, so I got involved early, and New York didn't have a dedicated highway fund. And, like, why not? There's We're one of only three states. That's dumb. And started working on that and actually got one done and liked it. So I got involved with the report card when we started, um, the report card on America's infrastructure in 1998 and have been mm -hmm. on two cycles where I've actually been one of the experts, but have been on the periphery involved for the whole 24 years. So I got to tell you, after 24 years of, you know, saying we need more money, we need more money, we got the money, you know, we had a glass of champagne and then you look at now what, right? Well, <laughs> you know, we've been working on this for so long, it's like you never thought it was going to happen. And when it did, you start realizing, you know, I've been climbing this mountain and I think I'm on top, but it's really only a plateau because there's a bigger mountain in front of us. Mm -hmm. We have to deliver. Um, the infrastructure is in terrible condition in general. And, you know, we went from a D plus to C minus. Yay. Big deal. Uh, you know, things <laughs> yeah. wouldn't be good in this household with my three sons if they got D's for two decades. Absolutely. So now we have to prove that we can deliver um, on that process that we can do things more effectively and efficiently and look at all the things that we've been kind of ignoring, things like environmental justice and social justice and making sure that we have holistic solutions that, you know, that does not divide people but unites them. So it's going to be an interesting time, but if you're a student at this point, there's it's never been better. In, in the 40 years I've been in the business, it's never been a better um, total environment for you to do really what you want to do and really make a significant impact. So I think how we are working with other agencies and working with other parts of the construction family, right, to be able to deliver on the promise, uh, finding innovations, unleashing innovations, looking at project delivery, uh, all, from procurement all the way to decommissioning. What are we doing? Is this really what's in the best interest? I mean, I don't want this to be 
you know, claims out the window and all the money goes to lawyers. I want it to go to steel and concrete. Mm -hmm. And so we have to do things differently and we have to find ways to collaborate on things we've never even thought about collaborating before. So that's one challenge. The other challenge is the disruption of the infrastructure space and civil engineering. We have not seen the disruption that other businesses and other um, areas have, and it's coming. And so you either ride the wave or it crashes on your head. And so one of the things we, we did a few years back is we launched a program called Future World Vision. Uh, it's on our website. If you haven't seen it, I suggest uh, you and your and your listeners go check it out. Um, it's kind of a proofed, calibrated crystal ball of what things might look like 50 years from now. Mm-hmm. And the idea is not what it's going to look like, but to challenge your thought process when you're designing things that are going to be around for 50 years. You don't want something to be functionally obsolete 10 years after you built it. So we have to think about things differently in a sustainable and in a resilient kind of lens and how that all comes together for long-term investment. Because most of what we do, we design it for 30 or 50 years and we use it for 100 to 150 years. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, <laughs> for 30 with the understanding it's going to be there till 60, you know? So. Yeah. so it's really important. So those are kind of like the two major lenses. I, I really feel that civil engineering has to take back its role as the the systems integrator for this stuff. Uh, because as we saw, for example, with the big four that come in, the big four accounting firms that come in with a small amount of engineers and they consult with a lot of clients in the planning phase, and then stuff happens, COVID happens. Um, you know, you have a lot of rainfall and you've got dams that fail and we've got COVID and there's no vaccination and we have to move people and 60,000 people have to go into temporary housing. We have to figure out what wrong, you know, replace the roads and bridges that got washed out. I mean, it's just this house of cards thing. And if you don't have a good engineering knowledge base, how are you dealing with that? You're not, you're like, Oh, I don't know what to do here, right? Whereas if you get a bunch of civil engineers in a room, close the door, give us a whiteboard and tell us you got four hours to solve the problem, we'll probably solve the problem. (laughs) You know, at least in a schematic basis where, you know, we should consider this and this is probably a root cause. It's how we're trained. It's what we do every day of our lives. So um, I'm very hopeful that that we'll be able to make some really um, big jumps in how we're addressing some of these really complex challenges because it's in five dimensions. You have the world of three dimensions. There's never enough money and there's never enough time. So you have to balance all that. Well, I'm, I'm interested what you said was really, uh, first of all, that's, that's exciting. And then uh, secondly, that's scary. (laughs) (laughs) This entire thing, but truly uh, just the, the innovation that's, could come out of this entire thing is just that's what's exciting to me because you know uh, uh people who know me is i'm a i'm a disabled veteran and i hate to say it but it's truth i was a disa- i was a, a disabled veteran I lost my lower left leg and um it, and uh, before um uh, operation uh, during freedom operation iraqi freedom and mm-hmm. this is this is terrible to say but it's truth the technology just wasn't it was still 
Vietnam era technology because that's the last time people put money into it. And right. then a- after the war, they pumped a lot of money in it. And they, you know, as my, um, the as the people at the VA said, you know, this has pushed technology because of the circumstance, you know, 10 years ahead in one year, you know, yep. what we would done in 10. And that's, uh, I think the same kind of things can play, you know, will play out here also. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, totally transformative and, you know, very high tech. I can give you an example. Um, when I was a uh, chief operating officer and then executive director at the Thruway, um, we, seven, eight, ten years ago, put rumble strips on both sides of the road, both, mm-hmm. you know, both on the shoulder side and, and on the passing lane side. And the deaths for, you know, distracted and or sleepy drivers drastically decreased. And it was really a low-tech, cost-effective solution. But what people didn't think about, not only did it help with, you know, keep kind of scaring people straight. Now I have a, you know, a driver assist car that yells at me when I, you know, like I got to pull the steering wheel away because I want to run, you know, I want to avoid a pothole and it's telling me that I'm crossing a line and it gets mad at me. You know, I got (laughs) to wrestle the, the, uh, the car for a bit, but thinking back to those rumble strips, um, I'm from Buffalo. We get a lot of snow. Um, while at the county and while at the thruway, both times I had a seven foot snowstorm that you had to fight wow. in two, like in two days, right? And what you don't realize, I mean, when you're getting a good storm and it's windy, you can't see the hand in front of your face and the plow's got to be out there. Well, the rumble strip is also a safety enhancement for them because if they put the edge of the plow on the rumble strip, they can feel the vibrations and they know exactly where they are on the road. So it's sometimes it's something really small that can make a huge safety impact or investment impact. Um, you know, I think AI is going to be a huge part of what we do as far as asset management and prioritizing what we do first, second, and third. Uh, I think the three-dimensional modeling is uh, allowing people to come up with many more alternatives as to what makes sense. Uh, in a project and you know when you get stakeholders that want you to go one path and you want to go another you can actually true out some of that with a 3d model to see you know what the impacts are going to be so it's a very exciting time and you know to your comment that about you know it's exciting and and nauseating at the same time um, if that wasn't something everybody loved there wouldn't be as many roller coasters as they are yeah (laughs) true statement there true statement although (laughs) I don't go on roller coasters anymore. I have enough of the roller coasters in my personal life to not worry about the, you know, roller coasters yep. otherwise. So, yep. um, um, so how, you know, as, as an organization, how do you guys, you know, I've worked, worked with many, you know, professional organizations uh, like ASE and we kind of do the committee kind of, okay, here's what we want to do. We have a committee that works through it in various different stages. Do you guys have that same kind of model or how do you guys go and kind of go about tackling some of these issues? Well, I, I think some of it's committee structure, some of it's like council structure. ASCE is an individual, you know, membership organization. So it's not a trade. It's truly a professional organization. Mm-hmm. And it's roughly a third commercial practitioners, a third government engineers and a third academicians. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
when we're doing a policy, a policy statement as far as you know what we're pushing for on Capitol Hill, for example, or in state houses, you have to get these policy committees that are basically try to be equal in those three areas <laughs> to agree on something. Good luck with that. Yeah. Um, and so it's vetted extremely carefully, and then it goes up to the board, and then the board has to agree to it or not. And I would say, you know, every given year, there's probably a half a dozen policies that come up that get sent back with all kinds of concerns. So, you know, for us to be able to take a stand on something or push in a certain direction, it requires an awful lot of technical input. So I think it's very solid from that perspective. Uh, we are also an ANSI accredited standards producing organization. So we have many manuals of practice and standards. Our structure standards, ASCE 7, is worldwide. And um, we cut, we do a lot of cutting edge. Now standards takes a long time, but um, ASCE 7, which is structures just recently, within the last few months, put out its latest and greatest version. And it actually includes the first ever anywhere um, tornado standard for buildings that are life critical so you mm -hmm. can't afford to build a house to you know to withstand um a five tornado but you sure as hell better design your hospital that way so um making you know strides in what we're doing and so that you have resilient um at least life critical facilities is really important uh, but we have committees, you know, I mentioned councils. We have an industry leaders council, which is kind of off to the side that are CEOs um, that I've served on that for about eight years now. And we talk about the topics that, you know, as as companies and as leaders in our companies, what we see and quite frankly, agency folks belong there too. you know, what the challenges are going to be five to 10 years out. So we're not so looking at what's in front of us that we're not looking long ball. Um, Future World Vision was born out of our Industry Leaders Council. So there's a council there. We have a council on government engineers so that the, governor, the government engineers have the ability to um, utilize ASCE to help them with how they move things forward. And then you have conversations. Uh, we just had a fly-in to, to Washington. Um, it was not, it was actually hybrid. Um, it wasn't fully in person and wasn't fully uh, on the computer. And we did a roundtable discussion uh, at the beginning of that and and had uh, the Deputy Secretary of the Transportation of uh, Polly Trottenberg there and a couple state DOT folks. And they were asking industry suppliers, contractors, engineers, questions about how, you know, tell us from what you know, how do we do this better? Whether it's procurement, whether it's, um, you know, getting projects to have less risk, quicker delivery, the whole thing. And so dialogues that I've not seen before in my career. And so I'm very heartened that we're going to be able to do a lot to really improve our infrastructure in short order. So let's change the discussion a little bit to be a little bit more about you. And, okay. uh, and uh, so t first off, tell me, what do you believe the skills and abilities that you've had that's kind of helped your business, have helped, helped ASCE, uh, grow and do the things they have because you you know you have been part of this for a while and and you you know it's pretty incredible some of the things that you had been um, that you participated in what do you think that you brought to the table there and try not to be humble okay um, first of all 
you can never underestimate the power of your network. Uh, people underestimate, you know, I, when I talk to university students, I say, look around. I'm serious. Don't lose track of these people. It's not that big of an industry. And at some point you're going to cross paths and you're going to rise in the profession together. You need to communicate and, you know, go out and have fun with these folks. Don't just cram for exams because this is, these are your peeps moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I, I, you know, there's the introverted extra an extroverted engineer. I'm the engineer that dances on the table. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I, um, I, I love engineers and I love the people, which is usually not what people think of a stereotypical engineer. So I was gonna know, say. The, social, the social aspect and the um, connecting dots, getting people to get together. Um, I learned early that my SCE friends are true friends. And so you can ask them questions to look smarter on your day job and they're not going to mind answering that question. So it's kind of a place that's safe that you can, whether it's technical, managerial, professional, whatever, you can just have that informal conversation. And so I was fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of people who were very willing to listen and give me advice. Uh, you can never get a yes if you don't ask. So you got to ask, you got to ask a lot. Under that same uh, same thought process, what advice would you give somebody um, that is interested in, you know, leading a career like your own? I think the other thing that I talk about is that um, I figure, you know, if I fall down, um, the sun will still come up tomorrow. I'll dust off and I'll try again. So um, I haven't been paralyzed with what if I don't do this right? What if I have a problem? And again, I think that was because of a very fortunate, fortunate circumstance of people I work for that really encouraged me to try new things, right? But, you know, to be successful, you can't be the one um, that's hiding in the corner. I mean, whether you want to be technically successful on top of your game or whether you want to be running projects or organizations, you have to learn how to take risks. And that's hard because engineers, you know, lawyers have 10% of the facts and they talk about it like they have 100% of the facts. And engineers <laughs> are exact opposite. We'll have 90% of the facts and like, well, I'm not sure and we need more study and I haven't looked at this. You have to understand that what you know has value and you have to be willing to take some risks. I call myself a professional cliff diver. I didn't just stand in line when people were asking for volunteers, you know, other people backed up and I jumped right off and said, I'll try it. As long as you help me out, it's fine. So not being afraid of stepping out of your comfort zone when you're comfortable all the time, you're not challenging your intellect. Good advice there for sure. Um, you know, speak to, you know, I always, when I have, um, um, women on the show, I always like to discuss how that is for a woman in the construction industry. And it's probably a little bit different being an engineer because I hate to say it, but you guys have got, I don't hate to say it, it's a great thing. It's, you guys got ahead of the curve, um, construction management. So trying to get to that point, you know, um, and well, I think it's still bad everywhere to tell you the truth. I mean, I, it was probably um, enrollments were less than 5% women when I went to college. And, um, 
you know, people didn't stick around long. Right now it's about in engineering, it's about 30% women. Mm -hmm. And uh, but we're 51 percent of the population. So there's a math problem there. Absolutely. Um, and then you look at it. And before the pandemic, the Society of Women Engineers um, did a study that and it's worse now post pandemic and it's worse for primarily people of color and women, which is not good. Uh, 70 percent of women left the profession of engineering within 20 years of graduation. So we don't have enough in the pipeline and we're not retaining. And I think after COVID, when it's looked at, it's gonna be worse. So we have to be a better lifestyle profession um, because people are smart enough to play these roles. They're smart enough to do a lot of other things too. So I think there's gonna be a wave change and that, you know, that rising tide floats all boats. I think everybody's gonna have better conditions because of it. Um, I'm still appalled at how much underbelly there is. Um, the challenges that I thought we would have been over with a long time ago. And and you're right. I think it's worse than construction, construction management. I'll tell you another place that it's really not good is in, acad in academics. Um, some yeah. of the, um, the discrimination that happens at, in, at the university level is terrible. And we have to change that because quite simply, there's not enough pale male and stale guys to do the work. Mm-hmm. There just isn't. And they we're missing a big, big important skill set, you know? I mean, uh, we all have uh, differences, and those differences can be very positive in a way. And, um, and, if you look uh, at boards of – Harvard does this every two years, I think. They look at boards of companies, and the ones that are diverse – outperform in profitability anywhere between 50 and 30, 15 and 30%. So it's about the money, ladies and gentlemen. You want to make more money, have a diverse team. Oh, that's definitely great advice there. So what do you, um, if you were to give advice to, um, say, a college, you know, you kind of went this, a, you know, both personal and professional, and you had to give advice to uh a uh, young lady or young man just graduating college, what would that be? And I always say, uh, I li always like to look at it as look at 18 year old self, but I'm asking you to look at, you know, 22, 23 year old self and say, what would you, what, what would you say that would be uh, both personal and professional and one piece of advice on both of those? Well, I think when you get out of school, first of all, take your EIT, um, your engineering training, right away that first part of the PE exam because the further you get out from school the harder it is to pass that exam because you're not using it day in and day out mm -hmm. so you know get your fundamentals exam under your belt and then spend the next five years of your career and don't get cubby hold do not do the same thing for five years so wherever you are working find out ways to do different parts of the business so you have a better understanding of the way things work and what you like and what you don't like. Because what you think about in a textbook is not the way it shows itself when you're out in the real world. And so get a very good, solid foundation across areas. And then it also helps you pass your PE exam. Because then you're not just like, 
a one-hit wonder. I just do one thing, and if they don't ask exactly the right questions, I'm not going to pass. Mm-hmm. So, and then once you get your PE, do what you really like based on that experience profile. And if you're in a position that you don't, you know, you like what you do, but you don't like your circumstance, you don't like, you know, where you're doing, then do something different. Don't feel like it's a life sentence. You know, right now, I tell students, their world is their oyster. I have never seen a market like it is right now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you got to love what you're doing and you have the ability that you really don't have to kind of, you know, hold your nose as much. And so find, you know, find your lane. And then if you're not loving it where you're at, find it somewhere else. You know, don't feel like, I mean, there's a, there's an awful lot of mobility in the business now. And um, so I think it's important that you really find what you have passion for. I think it's incredibly important to have friends in the business, to have mentors in the business, but not mentors in like, I've got a formal mentor program and I have to sit down and talk to you for 30 minutes every week and we have to fill out a form. I'm talking about, you know, go out and have a beer and talk about the stuff that's making you nuts. Like true phone a friend kind of mentoring as opposed Uh to some formal program. Um, I've seen mentoring used as a weapon people use that information against people. And so I'm real skittish about the formal, trust me, we're gonna do this right. You know, find some folks that you do trust and have real conversations. You know, on a, a, uh, uh, you know, because you're on the board of ASCE, you know, you talked a little bit about what the the future is. you know your organization's a large organization. Um, uh, excuse me, your not just ASC, but your company. Uh, company-wise, what do you what do you guys look? I mean, you guys have grown, I mean, substantially. So, right. what do you think that looks like for the for the for your company? Well, I think it's going to continue on the same trajectory. I think we're going to continue. If you know, if we could grow through a pandemic, I think you can grow through pretty much anything. Um, and I, I feel the same way about ASCE. I mean, uh, we could have gone belly up and we didn't. We doubled down and did really well. So it's about finding new ways to connect. So I think with COVID, uh, we did a lot more starting off a meeting with how are you? Yes. <laughs> you know, what's going on in your life? and spend, Because there isn't coffee pot or water cooler conversation. So you really have to invest in time to check in on people, to make sure that they're okay and and get as a supervisor or as a leader, read the facial language, listen to the tonal quality to see whether you're getting lip service or whether there's something underneath or what. Um, and then if, you know, if you something's not feeling right, then follow up, have the conversation. Uh, we've gotten to this point where, you know, mental health is obviously an issue for everybody because nobody can sit still that long. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're an ADD society. And we glued everybody to a chair for two years. <laughs> yeah. And so people aren't coping well with, you know, they just don't have the resilience to take on things that they may have before. 
simply because they've been challenged. And I think we're going to go to the direct opposite. You know, one of the things we got out of COVID is everybody's got this me, 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 instant gratification because everybody's sitting on a computer and they're not commuting and like, well, why didn't you get back to me? Well, you know what? I got 300 emails in the five hours since I talked to you and I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Mm -hmm. And so we have to change some of those expectations and, you know, realize that we're still human beings and we just can't spit things out um, at the same level for a prolonged period of time. I mean, it's just like working overtime. You can work crazy overtime for a short period of time for a specific deadline, but that can't be the norm because you don't function well in your 10th or 12th hour. Well, what's, you know, what's interesting is I was reading an article, I guess ENR put out about, uh, um, they were talking about like how the pandemic has changed, not just the expectation of the millennial population and then I started thinking about that and I said well we're, we were probably one of the last that could work virtually but didn't you know just mm -hmm. out of like principle and uh our way we thought things should be you know and um and now the the demand is hey employees are tough to get and they're demanding hey we have that kind of flexibility in place I mean to be honest with you my company I, I also struggle with that same thing too because I grew up in a school where if you weren't in your seat, you weren't doing your job, you know? Yeah. So. And there's got to be a happy medium in between there somewhere. I mean, I think going full remote all the time is not a good solution either because you're not getting, you know, kind of the team think where you mm -hmm. can really come up with better solutions because somebody adds to somebody else's and you know you can use mural instead of a whiteboard and stickies um, but that's cumbersome and then the technology doesn't work and you get frustrated and you're not thinking about free thinking so i think when you're looking especially for young engineers that are still trying to figure out their way uh, it's like you know getting a professor that teaches you versus someone who talks and you've got to learn it from the book um, there's something to be said about, you know, that person that comes in and you want to learn and you want to grow and you want to figure out better ways of doing things. I don't know how you do that on a computer. I mean, I can tell you, having been remote for two years, I probably made a half a dozen friends working hard, like people that I would really talk to by mm -hmm. a computer. I mean, you have to have like a special personality kind of concoction mix to be able to do that it's just not the same as let's go out and have a cup of coffee and just talk it's just not the same and so there has to be a mix um, I think there's great advantages for being online with ASCE we saw it you know you can have a great speaker in a in a local unit somewhere that people from around the world can jump on and pay attention and participate in, mm -hmm. right? But they couldn't before. Or I laugh, you know, you think about the state of Wyoming, right? For them to do a lunch meeting means people have to take the whole day off because there's not that many people in that many places that are next to each other. And so it's a big deal to get together. So you have to do a day long meeting and then you got to trade day to travel in and day travel out. They don't have to do that. They can do a weekly or a monthly meeting on said technical topic and then maybe once a year get together. So I, it's giving us options, but I don't think that it, it's a substitution. I think it's an enhancement. Great thoughts there. So let's move on to the speed round and the speed round is simply uh, eight different topics. Um, 
uh, and uh, you rate from one to ten, ten being the most important, one being the least important, and they can all be ten, as I tell everybody. Because, uh, but uh, and if you want to elaborate on your on your number, uh, you can. So we'll go ahead and start off with scheduling. Uh, seven. I think it's important because uh, you're making commitments and uh, in the inflation that we're going to see, if you don't get scheduling right, it's going to cost a lot. Estimating. Uh, probably an eight. Uh, getting Having been a client, it's hard to get supplemental funding. Contract administration. Now, I have contracts, the actual paper contract, but I also have contract administration, uh, the execution of that contract. For where they stand right now, I would say five. We need to be, we need to change how we do that. So I think it's a 10 as far as project delivery, but not mm -hmm. the way we do it now. Design. Uh, I would say seven because I think as a project develops, you may find a better substitute. And so you can't be set in your ways up front. You have to be flexible. Accounting. Oh, our favorite subject. Um, it should be much <laughs> less of what we do. So I'm going to say three. You know, why, why, why don't every, why doesn't every state in the country use FAR for what, what you have to do? And why, why do they all have additional <laughs> items? That's silly. Absolutely. Business development or sales? Uh, I think that is probably a seven or eight because it's still a people business. If people don't know what you bring to the table as a firm or as a person, they're always going to stay with what they're comfortable with. They aren't going to get out of their comfort zone unless you give them um, let them lose some sleep about maybe they don't have the best solution. And last but not least, leadership. Ten. It's it's uh it's an exercise in futility unless you've got somebody that can uh, rally the troops and get it done. Well, Maria, I just want to thank you for uh, being on the podcast today, and as I do with, uh, and I want to thank you for contribution to the construction industry and uh, in general, and uh, uh, your or you know, not only just working in it, but actually participating and being involved in it, because it's, you know, I always say that people want some pain if they want to be involved with professional organizations sometimes because or at least in the leadership of that because it's a it's a absolutely time it's a time well, it can be a time sink you know but it's but it but also if you feel like you can be part of um trimming the sails and adjusting the rudder it's 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 good stuff because it's going to impact a lot of lives absolutely so i, I want to thank you there but i also want to make sure I, I i give you the last word so you have the floor um, this is about the most exciting time, I think, in 100 years in our industry. I would love to see uh, many more people come into the industry, whether they're construction laborers all the way to owners of major companies. Um, there's tremendous opportunity, and this is a profession that's going to be around for a while. It's not like you're going to learn it today, and 20 years from now, you're going to have to do something totally different. Um, how we do things may change. 
but you're still going to have the human element in everything you do. It's 10% of the gross domestic product, the overall construction industry. So you can really make a contribution and have that exciting career. So if you're not here, why not? Well, great, great input, great podcast. I thank you so much, Maria. And for my listeners, uh, tune in next week for another session of Connex. Make it a good day. Mm-hmm.